0: and welcome to the product science podcast where we're helping startup founders and product leaders build high growth products teams and companies through real conversations with people who have tried it and aren't afraid to share lessons learned from their failures along the way i'm your host holly hester riley founder and ceo of h2r product science this week on the product science podcast i'm excited to share a conversation with nacho bacino Nacho has been leading product teams for over 10 years in different companies and industries. He also is a speaker, teacher, and coach working with organizations in different countries to help product teams and product leaders improve their practices and skills to achieve greater impact. Nacho is currently the Chief Product Officer of Best Day. Welcome, Nacho. Hi,
1: Holly. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to talk with you. So um, I always like to begin by just getting to know a little bit about people's journey. So how did you get into product?
1: Well, I believe it's the typical um, software developer to product uh, path, but based on Latin America, so probably a bit different. I started studying software engineering in Argentina and working as a software developer. And I believe the aha moment when I decided to switch was um, I was working for six years probably as a developer. And at that time, I was working at Verizon, the telco. So, they had a software factory in Buenos Aires. And I was displeased about many things, uh, or yeah, many things about how we work were not comfortable for me. And in particular, one of the most critical ones was that we didn't know why we're doing things and the impact those things have. Um, So, we were basically doing requirements and, and working on requirements. And I remember once I was leading the team and we have a very stressful release and a lot of weekends we work. Um, so in that particular time, I pushed my manager for more information and what the, what was the impact of that very critical thing that we were doing. And after a few weeks, I realized that we didn't have any impact at all. And so someone decided that it was was a great idea and would try, really push us to to do it very very quickly, very fast. Um, but had had no impact at all. And that's where I was I was I was starting or I started wondering why or who were deciding these priorities and, and who were deciding what we should be working on. And by the same time, agile methodologies were becoming popular. So I take a Scrum course. I realized that there was a position called product owner. And I, my manager was in charge actually from prioritization, but he was in a more high level or, or long-term prioritization. So I proposed uh, or I, I suggested that we can started working with Scrum, and I will be doing the product owner role for, for our team, so kind of working on more day-to-day definitions and day-to-day prioritization. Of course, I had no idea what I was going to, to be doing, uh, but I, I took the opportunity. It was interesting. Um, and of course, I, I wasn't that product owner at all. in, in That organization it was very waterfall and very different from, from anything that we can expect from, from a real product owner or a real product manager even. But that was the aha moment. So I started looking for product management positions. um, This was 12 or 13 years ago. And in Argentina, or in Latin America in general, uh, product management became popular a lot of years after it was popular in America or Europe. Mm -hmm. So... um, I had the chance to, to. I found probably one of the few positions available for product management. It was in a gaming company, social gaming company, mm. and the founders were from the states and from Germany. So they mm. had kind of more of this, uh, say, modern structure in mind. And I was very lucky because, uh, of course, material was also not available for product managers. So they kind of coached me into the role, and I have peers that coached me into the role. So that's how I started, and, and it was. Yeah, probably very fortunate to find that opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. What? Uh, tell me more about that company. What What size was it when you joined?
1: Well, I joined when we were probably 100, 150, something like that, and we mm-hmm. grew to five hundred people in probably three or four years. Uh, oh, that's I was fantastic! Working there. Yeah, um, and the space was social gaming actually. So it was at the time that thing. were doing social games for Facebook. We were doing social games for. Uh, more the Latin American communities, especially in Brazil, we're uh-huh. very strong in Brazil. So yeah, that was, I, I started actually as a product manager and then I, I, I grew to some group product manager positions.
0: Awesome. And what was product management like at that organization? What, How many people were on the product team and how, how was the practice done?
1: So we were probably... Um, Eight product managers uh, working on different. So, so the company was structured around games. So mm-hmm. I have I started, for instance, in the poker game, social poker game, mm-hmm. um, and I reported directly to the to the CEO. And I would say that product was very. So, so we worked in a very data driven way. So most of what we prioritized was based on on metrics. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because. Um, I mean, this were, we were is a premium model in which we started with your free package, and you can upgrade to, to pay user with some advantages. Um, and actually, it was interesting because we could experiment a lot with those uh, free users and how we can convert them. So it was very data-driven and experimental,
0: and mm-hmm. I think it was great. That's awesome. What about the qualitative side? Did you talk to users very often and do usability <laughs> tests and...
1: No, no, no. That's, <laughs> That's exactly what I probably learned after. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were pretty much... So the, the good thing was that we had plenty of, of users, so we can be we, we were able to be very granular with our metrics and our experiments, mm-hmm. but many times... And actually, it was an interesting experience. I learned this in, in the poker game, that we had a lot of information about what was happening, but we didn't know why that was happening. Yeah. Um, and we actually... I. I Reflected on this a long time after because we, we didn't have a lot of uh, well we, we didn't do any user interviews in, in that company.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, it sounds like obviously the company still grew. I mean you had lots of lots of users and and therefore lots of data and so you were able to to experiment and even if you didn't know why you still could make the things happen right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I guess that is uh, eventually it's like uh, throwing things at the wall and see what it sticks. So mm-hmm. that was probably the approach. Uh, and again, since we were doing kind of uh, fast iterative experiments, eventually we, we found winners.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, what did you do after that?
1: After that, I joined Despegar, which is the largest OTA in Latin America. So it's like Expedia for Latin America.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I was there for five years. Um, and again, I had the opportunity to, to grow. Actually, I usually say that that was my real school of product leadership because I grew mm-hmm. from product manager to director of product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was really lucky because I had the opportunity to be the, or my group had the new, the launch of new businesses. Yeah. So I, for, that was a long time ago, but I, we launched the first mobile application.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we launched the corporate travel side of the business and, and, well, many, many more initiatives. But it was interesting because I had to scale teams.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: actually, well, make these new new launches uh, a reality.
0: Yeah. So, tell me more about scaling teams. What what was that like? What were some of the challenges that you faced?
1: Well, I would say the first challenge is, as, as I was saying, that in Latin America, product management become became popular uh, recently. Uh, mm-hmm. So, there were not that many product managers available. So, much of the scaling was hiring people who we thought may have the Ability to grow and mm-hmm. coach them, so it was uh, very, very interesting, and very, very, was it challenging from a leadership perspective?
0: And uh, what uh, What skills did you look for when you were trying to find people who had the potential to grow?
1: Um, well, I think that this uh, so some some of the, the the context probably is that we had a lot of. Uh, Project organizations in Latin America, so there is, okay. there's a lot of software development. Um, so m- most of the roles that we were receiving were product analysts who wanted to do something more. So uh, I look for this this ability to talk with users, uh, the being data driven or being more than data driven, more like. Um, willing to understand how the product impacted Uh, so Mm -hmm. it's not just looking at numbers but actually trying to have insights about those numbers Mm -hmm. Um, and finally this collaboration skill which is uh, very communication i would say but it's probably very very generic but this ability to talk with many different sides of organization and and being able to yeah to communicate well
0: yeah yeah that makes sense um were there any things that you found that were Common to find, but were sort of good signs like that somebody wouldn't work out. Are there any sort of gotchas that you uncovered?
1: Yeah, I think that the um, most challenging side of working with this product analyst or, or people who were coming from, from project organization mm-hmm. was kind of this um, this mindset uh, or this need to have this clear milestones and, and working with an organized plan and and, and being more focused on, on the outputs than the outcome. I think that was the mm-hmm. the most challenging part. And, and there were signs of that um, more in, I would say, in the experience than in the interviews. So when, when someone was working for five years in that way and he or, he or she felt comfortable working that way, mm-hmm. was a sign that maybe this one wouldn't work
0: hmm that makes sense. So hiring was one of the challenges that you faced when you were working on scaling up the teams. What are some of the others?
1: Uh, I think that the other ones was more internal to the organization and probably something that uh, happens to many, to, to many product organizations in Latin America growing into product, actually, uh, was kind of working with stakeholders. And, and mm-hmm. in this particular uh, situation, I was kind of working new, new product lines Uh, was a very interdisciplinary work in which we had a lot of stakeholders coming from these different disciplines like marketing or sales or operations and kind of uh being the one who articulates the 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 product that will actually launch to market was uh challenging because of course uh, probably this is something that happens with any product initiative actually but all of them had their opinions and not of not of all the opinions could be heard at the first or initial launch, so we need to make a lot of compromises and and, and explain to them in a nice way why we mm-hmm. we couldn't do that at this moment.
0: Yeah. Did what were some of the ways that you uh, that you would make those decisions? Did you have any techniques that helped with deciding what was in the first launch?
1: Yeah, actually, I think that the. Um, I would say it was kind of the slicing kind of work, kind of reducing the scope to have an initial product that will be able to do add some value to the users
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and then keeping the other things for for rated releases so we were and I guess that this is something that we brought as a product organization to the company. We were trying to be very iterative and very incremental and, and learn about the the user as fast as possible um so we had some stakeholders like like marketing who wanted to have a perfect product to to, to pitch to users or we have operations who wanted everything automated from from the start. Um, So I guess that the key weapon or the key argument was uh, we are going to do that, but we are first going to learn from the user if this is something that we should keep investing on. So it doesn't make any sense to automate a process of something that no user will use. So uh, that, that's kind of the, the argumentation we use. Uh, but by going back to your question about how we slice uh, the work, probably, and this is very normal from any product organization, but we were trying to focus on what what was the core value for, or the the core operation that the user will do with that product and keeping the scope just uh, confined to, to
0: that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So while you were at that organization, you experienced, you know, the challenges of scaling up and and leading a group that's scaling up. What are some of the other things that you faced while you were there that you um, helped you grow into this product leadership?
1: Well, uh, one of the things that was interesting that was that uh, during this this time, uh, I believe that the whole product dis- discovery set of uh, processes and tools and frameworks became more popular. So incorporating that into organization was first place very challenging because it was a kind of more I would say, it was a growing organization, more structured. Um, and on the other hand, my unit was the one who needed that the most because we were working on launching new products. So we, we needed to do a lot of discovery. Um, and I, I don't mean that the grown products shouldn't do that, but they were more kind of established and they were more kind of uh, a/B testing and you know, small increments. So I believe that was uh, another challenge, kind of incorporating and and the, the I guess the probably is the typical challenge, but I will will say it anyway. But it's convincing other areas that we need to talk with users and we need to show them unfinished products to get their inputs. Yeah. So that was a challenging conversation.
0: Yeah, I think I hear that a lot. You know, even today. Um, even as product discovery has grown and spread. You know, we hear that a lot. So what are some of the things that you use to convince other people that you should be showing unfinished products to users?
1: Well, actually, uh was more kind of um, starting small and gaining that that space. So, for instance, I remember when we had the, the corporate product, which was very challenging because we, we had a, a traditional corporate unit that was kind of working one-on-one with, with customers, and we need to let them introduce us to the customers. So um, we asked to talk with three customers, and they will be, with us so they can see that we don't have the relation anyway um and we ask them to introduce us to the to the to their strongest relations so not the not the biggest customer not the smallest customer but the ones with we they have a better relation so I would say they feel more comfortable doing damage control after so we 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 seek for for that kind of um, uh, yeah, first interactions. And when we had the first interactions and they, they understood what we were trying to do and what actually they saw what we were learning. That was very, very important as well because since they were sitting with us and we had previously discussed some ideas that we were putting now in the table with the customer, they saw the customer reaction and they they, they understood why that conversation was important to decide the, the future of the product. So I guess that starting with these, these interactions in which they feel comfortable Mm-hmm. even when it was not the best customer to be talking with, it gave us the ability to grow into or to continue with customers more relevant in the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, were there more steps on your journey after that?
1: Yeah. Well, I uh, say that after that, I, I, I came to best day which mm-hmm. is where, where I'm working now. It's, uh, the, um, a large travel company in Mexico. Um, and I became chief product officer. And the challenge here was that we were transitioning at you know, the company. wanted to transition from a project-oriented organization to a product-oriented organization. So it was a new, a whole new level of challenge. I had to work with uh, product culture, uh, practices, setting for the first time a product vision, a product strategy. Um, so really think that changing the team from one set of practices to the other was a, a very important step and and for me, it was the first time kind of setting up a, a product culture
0: yeah and what was the size of that team when you joined?
1: uh so the team was um, around eighty kind of the group in general um, the product managers were around twelve mm-hmm. um and we grew that up to yeah well, one hundred and fifty total and product managers were around twenty
0: mm-hmm. So what what has that journey been like? It sounds like a, an interesting one trying to transition a group of that size.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, uh, was v- very interesting uh, from many perspectives because on one side I had to kind of work with uh, non product managers who wanted to convert into product management, um, so that was the uh, first challenge. Then I have an organization who was. Used to okay, this is kind of the business groups, so to speak, requesting a PMO, a project organization, to uh, deliver some some projects. So we need to kind of change how that feature request worked. So kind of was need to do some yeah some evangelization with the entire organization. And then finally, I guess that setting up new processes uh, or, or even the, the the product strategy that was, I was mentioning required to have these groups interacting in a whole new level. So product managers having different conversations and learning new skills and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that was a challenge. And I, I guess that one of the things I, I did was kind of the new people I hired uh, because the organization was growing, Kind of paired with the the non-product managers to kind of you know, teach them to a new level, and also be being very clear about the the practices and and the the processes that we wanted to use, so they knew that they were not there, but what was or what, yeah, what, what was the point in, at which they should get to to be working as as expected? So being clear mm-hmm. on those expectations.
0: So, what were some of the tactics that you use to, to set those expectations clearly?
1: One of the key elements was kind of the... Well, I, I mentioned the, the product culture. I think that the product mm-hmm. culture was very important because we we had some, say, pillars that we expected them to kind of use in everyday work. So even when the, the process can, can grow and mature over time and we don't want to be dogmatic about process, if you say, "Hey, we want to be customer-centric, we want to be data-driven, we want to be continuously improving," we want to be continuously improving. Um, so they, they have this uh, understanding. And when we have a one-on-one conversation with them, you can base on that expectations and be clear when those expectations were not being met. So product culture in one side. And the other thing I was going to mention was the the kind of the career path. So mm-hmm. we we set a set of attributes that we thought all product managers should have. And we gave them some idea of levels, and the levels were, or we intended them to be very clear on how we met the different levels. So that was setting expectations clear. And then the second big part of that was having one-on-one conversations and doing a lot of coaching. And, of course, when you have expectations clear, that one-on-one and that coaching is much easier because you kind of refer to, to, okay, we all know that we are expecting this and this is how you didn't meet that expectation.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I know that can be really hard to do. I've, I've worked at organizations that didn't have that in place yet and organizations that were working on adding it. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's tough to do well. Yeah. To really roll that out clearly and consistently. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, while being CPO at Best Day, you've also written a book, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I actually should be launched mid-March, mm-hmm. I hope, <laughs> if everything think goes well. Um, and I guess that uh, probably the, the book is the result of um, being asked by many people about product strategy. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I was lucky enough because I've been working with product strategy for probably six, seven years. Um some, I realized that uh, I had to... Also, it's very different when you know how to do something than when you need to tell someone how, how to do it. So I consolidated that uh, that knowledge and, and from people asking me how to do it. I, I realized that I was not really good at explaining it, so I worked a lot in to kind of uh, putting that together and, and complete that understanding. And on the other hand, one the, the, the second reason is that I believe that the, this lack of knowledge about how to do product strategy and, and why product strategy is important has become very popular for product leaders in the last couple of years. And I actually, at first, I, I believe that I was um, a bias that I had that I saw many. Co- I, I talked with many product leaders not having product strategy. But I think that a year ago, probably Marty Kagan started writing about product leadership, and he mentioned the same that most organizations don't have a, don't don't even set a product strategy. So I think that the problem become became more more evident. And I believe that there is not much material about how to actually get down to earth with product strategy. So I want to I would try to be very practical with the book and then try to describe uh, how to do it with tools and, and, and frameworks to actually kind of get it down to earth.
0: Awesome. So um how long have you been working on the book for? Or how long did that take?
1: Hmm, probably a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah so if I, if I count on research and these that I was mentioning, it's much more. But the, the formal work was, uh, yeah, take probably from, from March last year. <laughs> and I think that um, most of it was uh, kind of, as I was saying, trying to get from the knowledge to, to the actual being able to explain it to someone. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the hardest part.
0: Yeah. And what's the book called?
1: The book's called Product Direction. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, I mentioned, I talk about product strategy a lot, but I believe that one of the... So half of the book is product strategy, and the other half is connecting product strategy to execution. So I call it product direction because I kind of cover how to set the product strategy and then how to come up with a strategic roadmap and OKRs mm-hmm. to have... Because, well, I, I know that Marty was here the, <laughs> not long ago, so, so your audience probably know, but to have empowered teams you shouldn't come up with what you need to, or give the teams what they need to do. You need to give, give them give them the, the challenges or the problems they need to solve, the opportunities you want to pursue. So kind of mm-hmm. th- there is a balance when you go to execution of the strategy on how much detail you need to, how much context you need to provide, which is a lot, but yeah. not being dogmatic or not being specific about the solutions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so critical to share a lot of context. And I think people... It's one of the things that um, you know in some organizations can really sh- people can really struggle with is, is really making sure that that context is shared so that people have the info they need to be making the decisions themselves.
1: Absolutely, I think that the um, probably the well, I usually say that the the, the problems with the strategy I, I split them in two. One is kind of more related to to mindset or to yeah, more kind of the how we do things because there is a lack of. How we do a strategy and what strategy looks like when we do it. Um, so there is that kind of, as I was saying, lack of material or lack of, of knowledge about the the the, the expected results of a strategy session. And then the other one is more around how we, the, the implementation of that strategy in terms of, for instance, not having the right diagnosis. So you base your so, let's say that a product leader wants to do product strategy. He's done down with his team and started creating some or putting putting down some strategy. And usually what happens is that we take what we have been discussing in the last month or or the new shiny thing, and we put that into strategy. So having the right diagnosis and then looking at many sources before deciding is very important. Have in, coming up with, with different insights before deciding which ones to pursue is very important. And that can actually go to the team in terms of not only saying, hey, we are pursuing this because this is very important, but also saying we are not pursuing this because we get this information and we see that it's not the best fit for us now because, of course, strategy is also about focusing and selecting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's really fascinating that so many organizations have struggled with having product strategy, and I, I'm, I'm curious what you think about how a product manager who's you know, maybe more on the front lines level, um, the independent contributor can can really tell if their product strategy is, if the company has a strong product strategy or not. Like, what do they look for?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that the, probably if you are wondering if you have a product strategy, it's very likely that you don't have a product strategy. <laughs> uh, because one of the things I, I say in the book is that uh, a product strategy that is not communicated is as as good for execution as a non-existent product strategy. Uh, so one of the key steps of product strategy is actually communication. Um, I, believe, so I believe there are, there are probably uh, numerous ways of, of sharing the product strategy, but product leadership, when sharing this context, they should make clear which are the what I call strategic pillars, but it can be called anyway, but these kind of two or three things that are really important we are pursuing and the expected goals that we should achieve when pursuing that strategy. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a product organization, you're wondering if you have a product strategy and you don't know these two or three things that the company is focusing on and the two or three goals that we are trying to achieve, you most likely don't have a product
0: strategy. Yeah. And tell me more about the role of data in um, in the way that you coach or that you recommend teams um, work.
1: Um, you mean for product strategy or in general?
0: Um, well, I'm curious how it connects to product strategy.
1: <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> so, in terms of, uh, so, so, I guess we can we can talk about the whole the, the whole product uh, process from a, from a bigger perspective so mm-hmm. when we talk about product strategy i think it's uh, pretty much related to this diagnosis phase mm-hmm. and the problem i see is that many times product teams focus on the product data because that's the most uh, readily available information and the one we're probably playing with the whole day so so we focus too much on that and why suggest that we should have in this diagnosis phase a more broader view so we should probably look at our customer research for the last 12 months or, or our the customer feedback through our customer service, uh, if we have a customer service unit. Uh, we should also look at industry and market trends. And also that's also an interesting side of data because you have data that you can benchmark against and you say, okay, you know, this is my conversion and how my conversion rate looks like for my for my industry, for my niche. So you, if you can come up with that, you will have insights about uh, if you are, behind or or yeah, or above the market so that's one side So i i think believe it it really helps with the diagnosis and, and you should be getting that information before you you decide which insights to pursue then on the discovery phase so if we're talking about phases probably the, the discovery is next and during discovery i think again that we we should use data to inform our decisions, but we should share that that with. As we spoke with my poker game, we should mix the uh, the data we have from from our product metrics with quality information. And the, of course, the, the way to balance that is what's happening and why it's happening. That's what the qualitative information can can provide. And then we we'll go into execution. I guess that yeah in in. in Everything related to product optimization, like doing small A/B testings or in small improvements, um, I tend to be much more data oriented in in that side.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you tend to use our data when it comes to measuring outcomes? What is tell us a little more about what that looks like?
1: Okay, so um, I guess that the, the if, if we look at it again as a, as a kind of whole product organization process, um, you started putting in place your strategy, your strategy has kind of annual goals or, or, or bigger goals. Then we work with OKRs. So OKRs is our, so as, in the, in, as I put in the book, we come up with a strategy, but then you kind of need to break, down in the, break that down into problems that you will work on each quarter, and that quarter has expected outcomes if you solve or if you successfully address those opportunities. So that's how I link the day-to-day execution, I would say, to, to to the goals and the strategy. And that's the role, I guess, that data plays in measuring those outcomes.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, you were going about, you know, all of these steps of your journey, what were your key resources for learning more and figuring out how to solve the problems you faced?
1: <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> uh, probably... I I guess that when you start, and probably this is related to, to, to the career growth as well. Um, when I started, I started a lot of learning a lot about uh, the execution side of things. So you learn uh, from how to write a user story <laughs> to, how to how to measure a product. And, and, um, and I guess that in, in, in that sense, most of the information I had available probably 10 or 12 years ago was more kind of a relationship peer-to-peer and, and learning from others. Um, as I grew I, and, and as, as the product community grew, uh, more information became available in terms of books and and, and courses. Um, so what I do today is I follow probably uh, the key thought leaders in our space uh, and most of them have two things. One is a lot of public material available, like talks. And I'm talking about uh, Marty Kagan, Petra Willa, and I know, just Torres and uh, Jeff Payton, many, many, many thought leaders that I admire. Uh, and they have a lot of uh, free information available. And I think that sites like uh, I know Mind the Product, with, actually with Product Tank, which I co-organize here in Cancun, um, they have a lot of free material available that's awesome. And then, if you want to go a step further, most of them have workshops or, or trainings that you can pursue to really deep dive into into one practice. And I think that one thing that is important is, um, and this is kind of what I did and why I suggest uh, all my my colleagues is that when you are struggling with something, try to find a coach that doesn't necessarily need to be in your organization, but someone who has experience with that field of product management and can help you. Not only with the theory, but actually how you apply it to to your own job.
0: Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's something that is really helpful for people, especially if they are a leader in their organization and so they don't have, you know, a a product peer who's at the same level as them. It can be really helpful to have a coach to talk through things with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the <laughs> everyone says that products are lonely, a lonely position. I think that I, I I agree with that, and I, and the thing is that. Not not being lonely, but the you may have a lot of colleagues, but they probably don't have that uh, product experience that you need. So that's why I think that. And and again, it can be not even a formal coach it can be kind of peer to peer networking and mm-hmm. and bouncing ideas with with others.
0: How would you describe the state of the product management practice in Mexico and in Latin America?
1: <laughs> it's interesting. Um, I will start with Latin America. Uh, I believe that um, it's not evenly distributed, but there is some countries that, due to the technology, startups or or technology movement in general, have advanced uh, a bit more. Brazil, Argentina, um, a bit in Colombia, a bit in Chile. Um, So, in general, there are, I would say. It's uh, probably five years behind the United States or Europe in terms of uh, how advanced the practice is. And then you have also big corporations like like Despegar I mentioned, like Mercado Libre, which have very large product groups. So yeah, they 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 kind of set the tone, and then many product managers try to work there because they have a a more advanced practice. Um, In Mexico in particular, what I find, it was very hard for me to to hire product managers from Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I believe it's kind of hurting the product community is that there is a lot of software development being outsourced from the United States. Mm -hmm. And so you find a lot of software developers, but a lot of software developers working for product organizations that are in the United States. So I guess starting from a, a yeah, shop market perspective, uh, many Mexicans tend to be software developers because there are a lot of available positions and it's, very, it's a huge in terms of software development. Uh, there are very big software factories, actually, uh, but in terms of product positions, uh, the the startup ecosystem is not as well developed as as probably in other countries in Latin America, and also the, there is this uh, lack of product positions because they work for for other countries.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Are there any topics that we didn't cover that you would really like to talk about?
1: Um, I think we talk we we cover strategy communication, um, but I. One thing that we didn't go through about I mean I, I keep wondering about the question you said about if someone wonders if they have a product strategy. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's very important is kind of the the repetition, how we use our product strategy to communicate it in as many places as we can. And so I, I I like to to mention that the role of the product leadership is probably a lot of doing this this coaching and providing this context and the context whether you like it or not requires a lot of repetition so i kept wondering about that that question that you mentioned so one of the things i, I do and i recommend everyone doing is kind of starting for instance every okr review with mm-hmm. a two-minute talk about what's our strategy what we are what we're pursuing here so not only defining it, but also keeping that present is very important for for providing teams with that context and what that clarity of of our purpose, of our of our goals, and and actually having that reflected in the execution and and your outcomes.
0: Yeah, that's that's an extremely good point. I think a lot of us forget while we're practicing, you know, as the product person, we spend so much time with the strategy, with the goals and the initiatives and the, you know, the things we're measuring. Sometimes we forget that the other people on the team don't live in it as much as we do. And, mm-hmm. you know, we need to, go, we need to just review something that like, yes, we talked about this last month. Let's just talk about it again. Yeah. And then we'll do it again next month. <laughs> you know, but That's a really good point.
1: I want to think too, is that, I mean, as, as, as we discuss, I, I, I been part of organizations that grew a lot on our scale um, and one of the things that became uh, another challenge that I didn't mention is dependencies um, mm-hmm. so when I in my first experiences when I didn't work with uh, a lot of product strategy dependencies are very very messy because you, you need to discuss I mean it kind of feels like the one who shots louder gets the the, the slots in the in the backlog mm-hmm. um, but when you have a strategy and you communicate the strategy instead of Having every dependency being escalated to to product leadership, teams start agreeing much more, and you kind of live a you you can work less by giving more context and letting the teams have these kind of discussions.
0: You're right, and it's really beautiful when that happens, right? People <laughs> start um, people start being able to make decisions just based on, well, does this move forward? The thing that I know is our top priority, and you know that's um, one of the uh, One of the ways that I tell people to evaluate, you know, whether they have the right materials and communication for their teams is like, what happens when the team has to make a decision? Does the team get to make the decision quickly because they all know and they're just comparing, you know, well, which one of these will do this more? Or is it back and forth? Maybe this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that, you know, Um, really well defined strategy and good principles can really cut down how long it takes to make decisions, which is great. Absolutely yeah um do you uh i mean you've mentioned people coming to you and asking you questions sort of is that because you're really active in in the community where you are or um how do you how do you meet other products people in latin america
1: actually we talk about about my corporate job a lot, but I actually am really passionate about product, and probably for the last five or six years, I, I try to be very active in the community. So I, I've been running Product Tank in Buenos Aires and now in, in Cancun for the last five years. Mm-hmm. Um, then I also write a lot in, in Medium in particular, it's uh, where, where I'm writing now. Um, and i also like to do some talks or share information in whatever form I can, so I, I actually mentor a few product managers that's more kind of one-to-one relation but in, in a broader sense I'm very active in LinkedIn or in, in any way they, they want to contact me and, and try to to be as uh, friendly as possible uh, mm-hmm. and, and share information because I believe as I said we need to keep pushing the, the discipline further. so I'm glad to help when I can.
0: Awesome so if you had just one thing uh, to share with the people who come to you asking you for guidance? what What is your key lesson that you want them to know?
1: I would say that product management in general is something that you mostly learn on the field. So if you are a product manager, look for others to help you. And if you're a product leader, make sure that you are doing this one-on-one and coaching your team because that's the most relevant way they will learn.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this has been a pleasure. Where can people find you if they want to follow you and learn more?
1: So I have a site called Lean Experimentation. Uh, That's kind of my blog, uh, but I'm very active in LinkedIn and, and Medium, so they can they can find me there.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Nacho. It's been a pleasure.
1: I really enjoyed it, you. Thank you.
0: The Product Science Podcast is brought to you by H2R Product Science. We teach startup founders and product leaders how to use the product science method to discover the strongest product opportunities and lay the foundations for high growth products, teams, and businesses. Learn more at H2RProductScience.com. Enjoying this episode? Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode. I also encourage you to visit us at ProductSciencePodcast.com to sign up for more information and resources from me and our guests. If you love the show, a rating and review would be greatly appreciated. Thank you.